the question was Halloween as a holiday for Christians. Um, and, and so I put two polarizing options, redeem it, it's fun, it has Christian roots, 39, the minority, um, and I was in that 39. And so then uh, avoid it, it's not good, it has pagan roots, 46, um, you, you're the 46 that didn't trick or treat too. Um, on the other one. And then the last one, I don't really think of it in spiritual terms, 206. So I don't really think of it in spiritual terms. I really want you to like think about everything in spiritual terms. That's, that's part of my hope is that you'll begin to think about everything in spiritual terms. So uh, look, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you a little history here. So the origin of what we now call Halloween um, it does have Christian roots. And, uh, and there are some Christians that will never be convinced of this, and that's fine. But um, you see, Christians, and I'll quote a fellow who I was listening to the other day, Christians were like pretty BA back in the day. Um, and we're like, we're like a little bit soft now, but we're getting tougher. Um, we're in like the spiritual gym again. Um, and so, and it helps with some persecution. It helps you get tougher. So Christians were pretty BA back in the day. And, uh, and so when someone was killed for their faith, um, like now we're like, you know, we put up like the sticker on the back of the car, like in loving memory. And every time they're like death bursary falls around, I don't know what that's called. Um, but when they would die, when we would remember the day, like we would all get around and just be sad. That that's kind of what we do now. Christians back in the day would gather around and they were like, they were like, old Thomas, he died a good one. Head over here, body over here. Head was still mouthing Jesus. That guy, what a, what a, what a martyr. We'll drink to that. And like, then they would like party. And so whatever day, like if I was the martyr, they would like party on my day or your day. Like, not bad. But the problem is Christianity was like not super popular. So there were a lot of martyrs. And so like, if I heard about like, you know, if I heard about one of you guys getting martyred and uh, made it to our village, like we'd have to add another day to the calendar of like celebrating another martyr. And so eventually it got a little bit out of hand. It was like too many martyrs to remember. And so they said May 13th, that's the day. May 13th in, uh, in 60, what was it? 609, um, Pope Boniface IV decided May 13th would be the day to celebrate all saints. And it was called all saint or all martyrs, all the martyrs, all martyrs day. But then um, about 130 years later on April 12th, 732, Pope Gregory or Pope Greg III moved everything to November 1st, which started at midnight on the 31st, and that was called All Saints Day. You would remember all the martyrs and all the saints who had just died in the Lord. And so that, that guy, Sam Hine, if you know what that is, like that's where people say like that's the roots. He's not even mentioned in history until around 900. Take that devil, get the hell out of our holiday. All right, um, trick-or-treating, trick-or-treating, that didn't even start until the mid-1500s, but not before 1517, when on the eve of All Hallows' Day, or All Saints' Day, this guy Martin Luther comes and he nails 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg. Why? Because they're about to remember all of the people who have given their life for the Lord, and he's doing it on that eve when everybody's going to come in and see it. Okay, that's enough history. Take that devil, get the hell out of our holiday. All right, so that's like, so it does have, so I'm all about redeeming it. That's why I have a skull on here. I put, I literally asked Hannah, who makes our, our graphics, I said, can you put a skull? And she was like, okay. And so why? Did you know on a lot of Christian graves, 
Skulls are on lots of old Christian graves. Why? Memento mori. Remember that you will die. They were reminding each other this life is not all that there is. And that's so important because we get so wrapped up that this is all that there is. And so I'm all about like, let's, let's redeem it. Now, do we do like the devil stuff? No, no, we don't. But when I think about this day, I do think about Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and who was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see how this starts? They're remembering the saints and the martyrs that have gone on before them who now see Jesus face to face. And there is a picture that those martyrs, those saints that have gone on before them, listed, a bunch of them are listed in Hebrews 11, are looking at those of us still here running this life. And if those folks could step out of heaven for one minute, I think what they would say is, I have seen the Lord face to face. Run with perseverance to him in this life. Okay, that's enough history. Um, Now, real quick, I want to just like, there were four other ones, and for the sake of time, I won't go over the four other polls, but there is one that I do want to go over really, really quick before I bring up Greg, and that is candy corn. Can we please show candy corn real quick? My view on candy corn. Love it. No, I'm being serious. I love it. You see, I forgot the period at the it there. My grammar after that just totally deteriorated. And I appreciate you being patient with that. Um, They still make that and then possibly worse candy ever. That little question mark is supposed to be my picture. That's the one I voted for. But here's the deal. I'm not sure what to do with this yet. I think that we might could have like two pools of people all the single ones on one side of like, I love it, all the one single ones on the, I hate it. And like, I think like maybe we could find some compliments. Think about it. You would never fight over candy, like among other things. Like, I think we could work this out. I'm not sure what exactly to make of this, but I do know this room is very divided. So when we finish and we're out by the fire pits, just be careful what you lead with in your conversations. So all that being said, I do think as we, as we remember the martyrs and the saints who are redeemed of the Lord, who've gone to be with the Lord, I think what happens is our eyes begin to be opened up to a greater reality that is around us. And we start to see like this is, there's a very spiritual world that is very real that is around us. And this is an interesting day to make us remember that. And so I think this is a place where angels and demons are waging war, but it's also a place where in heaven, God is seated on his throne as calm as he can be, redeeming people one at a time. And so I want to bring up Greg Conley, and I want, to, I want you to hear a little bit of Greg's story. I'm going to grab you a mic over here. Greg is, uh, Greg is one of our elders. Greg is, uh, I grabbed him mic number one. Greg is one of our, our elders. I think we have like a, some accolades. Do we have accolades? For, yeah. Elder, faithful young adult, a tender. He's a man of prayer. And I, I wrote this and he's rad. I, I received that, Thomas. Thank I received, you. I received, I received rad. 
Yeah, Greg is here almost every Tuesday night. If you're like, I never talked to him. You should talk to Greg. He's like a man of mystery. I do think you work for the CIA. Can we, we can delete that from the podcast. I can either confirm nor deny whether I work for the CIA. I mean, we don't know what Greg does, but um, Greg, I do know he was in the military and now he's not, but he does travel a lot. To undisclosed locations still. So uh, since you see Greg here a bunch, since it is a night where we're talking about like the spiritual realm that is around us, you look at Hebrews 12, you look at the roots of, of this day, it, we need to be aware that there's much more going on. Um, but as we get into your story of how the Lord's redeemed you, give us a little background on who, who Greg Conley is that choked me up, just to think about that. Already. Wow. Yeah, already. Um, so, hey guys, um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad is a pastor. Both my dad's brothers are pastors. My grandfather is a pastor. My great-grandfather was a pastor. Um, and I, my dad's side of the family are wonderful, wonderful Christian people. Uh, unfortunately, I was not intelligent enough to take advantage of that. Um, and so I walked away from the faith pretty early on uh, in life. And I did that like I did that explicitly. Like, it didn't sort of drift. Like, I, I straight up turned around and walked away. So I was, uh, I didn't like Christians. In fact, I pretty much hated them. Uh, I thought Christians were either one of two things. You're either just stupid to believe what you believed, or um, you just wanted something to complement your kind of nice middle-class lifestyle, and so this faith kind of fit in. Uh, and so I was at youth group, and one of the youth group guys was, like, trying to, like, push me. Uh, and he was like, you know, I think you're kind of living kind of like a hypocrite. You know, people see you as a Christian, but you're not really living like one. And I was like, I, I, you know what? You're right, man. I'm not a Christian. Uh, and he was like, wait, what? And that was not the reaction he was going for. Um, <laughs> Only honest yet kid in youth group. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, uh, I mean, he was, he's a good guy. I still know him. He's a good guy. Uh, just probably was not the best way to approach me. Um, so I explicitly set out to walk away from my faith. So I didn't just say like, okay, I'm not a Christian. Like what next? I used to say to my dad when we would argue like over the dinner table about faith, I would say like, Satan got everything interesting about the world and God got everything that was boring, right? There's just nothing interesting to me about the faith. There's nothing interesting to me about God. And so at the time, one of my favorite bands was a band called Nine Inch Nails. Uh, and they had an album called The Downward, do have an album called The Downward Spiral. And it's a story about a man who essentially strips everything from his life, searching for authenticity and searching for meaning. And so I essentially set out to do that. So I looked into drugs, um, and when I say I looked into drugs, I didn't dabble. Like, I extensively looked into drugs, uh, nearly landed myself in prison. Sex, success, money, you name it, I kind of dove into it. Um, and that brought me to a place where I ended up uh, joining the Army, not because I was walking away from my faith, but because post 9-11, uh, I was angry, and I wanted someone to suffer for what happened in 9-11. Uh, and I ended up uh, probably the lowest point in my life, um, I ended up in Korea, uh, South Korea, <clears throat> and I was stationed on the border between North and South Korea on the DMZ. Um, and back then, women were not allowed in combat units, and I was in the infantry. So it was 700 men uh, on a camp by themselves. Uh, we were not allowed to leave, and so the only two things we could do was really drink and fight. Uh, and we did that extensively. And then every once in a while, when you were allowed to leave, everybody just went and visited local prostitutes. Um, and so that was probably the end of my journey. I'm stripping everything about life away. Everything had ceased to have any meaning. Drugs and drinking had no meaning. Violence didn't even have any meaning. Sex had no meaning. And so I, at that point, I was sort of a nihilist. I just didn't really think anything mattered. Um, and uh, I just kind of figured I would sort of, you know, squeeze as much juice out of life as I could, right? Whatever was going to come next. And eventually, I would probably just, you know, kill myself because that's the most logical end to a life that has no meaning. 
Well, thanks, Greg. <laughs> Glad I could cheer you up. Yeah. Uh, no, but, but as, as you were telling me your story, and as in, I know some other people in here have heard this story, like, you didn't spend your whole time in Korea. You, you, it didn't get better necessarily, but, like, you certainly didn't come to the Lord then. So, like, where did you go after that? And what, what led to a kind of a tipping point? Because it sounded like you were in a miserable point, but not really a tipping point. Yeah, so <clears throat> it did actually, like, in terms of circumstances, it did get worse than Korea. Uh, I was deployed, my entire brigade was deployed directly from Korea to Iraq. Um, and this was when things were really wild in Iraq. And so I did two tours. I completed one tour and was still not a Christian. And still, at that point, I was even more hopeless because I was like, now, like, there's a good chance I can get killed as opposed to killing myself. Um, and it was during my second tour that I sort of, uh, that I sort of met the Lord. Um, and what happened was um, I was in the infantry. So in the infantry, all you really do is fight. There's really nothing else. You really don't have any other function. And so I was in Baghdad. I was in southern Baghdad. And I was out on patrol. Um, I was patrolling on foot. And uh, we were walking through a part of Baghdad called Dora Market, which was a particularly tough part of Baghdad. And, and that, it was like the murder capital of the world at that point, Baghdad yes. was, so right? So it was about 700 murders a month, um, approximately. There's usually sectarian violence. Shias and Sunnis killing each other for, because they're Shias and Sunnis, and they've been doing that for 1,300 years. Uh, and so um, we're walking into this market, and everybody just starts running. Like, all the civilians just start running. And that is pretty much the worst possible sign. That means you're about to get ambushed, right? So I'm like, oh, here we go. This is going to be a great day. And then nothing happened, right? Nobody shot at us, and we were sort of like, what is going on? And then a call comes over the radio that we found a dead body. And as Thomas said, Iraq is the murder capital of the world, so we found dead bodies, like, all the time. And war makes you callous, and so very often we were like, oh, it's another dead guy. All right, like... Because then we had to waste all this time, like, investigating the murder, even though we're soldiers, we're not police, I don't know, you know, I would be like, he's dead, I don't know what you want me to do with this guy. And so we got a call, hey, there's a dead body, Conley, we need you to come investigate it, because I was like the smart guy in the platoon, so I always got stuck doing this. So we're driving to, the, to where the rest of the platoon is with the body, and I am not happy about this, I just want to go home, I've been up for like 24 hours or something, and the body was located on an alleyway. Um, at the end of an alley on like a two-level road. So there was like an upper level to the road and there was a lower level to the road. So we're pulling up on the upper level and I tell the guy driving the Humvee, I'm like, hey, just drop me off right here. And the guy in the passenger seat's like, don't drop him off. And so we just drive past the body. And I'm like, I just blow my top. So I'm screaming some very not kind things at the guy driving the Humvee, you know, and he's screaming back at me. And then they drive to the, the lower part of the road and that's where they drop me off. And I'm just like, what, are you just trying to make my day worse? You're going to make me walk up this hill? And as they dropped me off, the body exploded. Uh, and it wounded my lieutenant pretty severely and a bunch of other guys relatively severely. Um, and then we got ambushed and a bunch of stuff happened. But when, when eventually I was able to reflect on the moment, um, what stuck with me was why they didn't drop me off where they should have, right? Like, what was the, why didn't that happen? Like, this one little moment, this one little decision by this kid, like, meant that I didn't get out at that, at that time. And so uh, when I got a chance to sleep, I had a dream. Uh, and I still, I still have this dream sometimes. Um, but the dream was, what happens if I don't get, get driven to the lower part of the road, if I get dropped off? And so the way I would have inspected bodies is I would have walked up to him and I would have got over top of him and I would have tried to determine, like, what killed him. And, you know, in my dream, I'm doing that and the body explodes. 
and I can feel it. Um, and if you've ever been in an explosion, which I'm assuming most of you have not, but you can feel them before you can hear them. And I, I just, you know, in explicit detail, felt myself dying in this moment and listening to the guys talk about, oh, I can't believe Conley got killed, you know, because that's the stuff you always say when guys get killed. Uh, and I woke up and I was convinced that the only reason that I didn't get dropped off there and I didn't stand over that body and I didn't die was because in his providence and in his grace, God just nudged this kid to kind of be a jerk and not drop me off. Um, and I had been, I had turned my back on God, like I said, explicitly. Like I hadn't been like a little bit about, I hadn't kind of gone to church and kind of, I was just like, I don't want anything to do with you. And at that moment, I felt like God was saying to me, this is it, right? I'm kind of done with you. I've pursued you. I've put Christians in your life. I've given you a wonderful Christian family. I've given you everything you could ever want to follow me. And at this point, what do you want? You want to pick the way where you do what you want to do and maybe you die or do you want to live? Not live like this life, but really live. Uh, and I said, I surrender. I give up. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to die either way. Um, and I just said, I don't know necessarily what all this means, but whatever's left of my life, whatever the old Greg was, is dead and gone. There is a new man in his place through, through the, you know, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice and whatever's left of my life is yours. And so that's how I became a Christian. That's just unbelievable. Yes, that's good to clap for. So the Lord, the Lord gives a guy a nudge. He doesn't, you don't get dropped off. Then you have this dream and it essentially like the Lord speaks to you through that dream that you had, you give your life to him, but you're still in Iraq. You don't get to just like go home and be like Christian on U.S. soil, like just soaking it up. So how, how what happened? Like how do you have all these guys that know you as, as Greg? Like you're just Greg. Like you're the, you're, you're the guy that we party with and you, you, we go fight with. And, but now on the inside, you're changed. So what, what happened? So I tried to change on the outside too. So I tried to stop swearing, uh, which is really hard. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I also tried to stop smoking, which is really not hard, easy to do anytime, but in a combat zone, it's a really bad idea. Um, and I tried to learn about God because I realized even though I grew up in the church, I didn't know anything about him. So I just like got a Bible and opened up to Genesis and started to read, which is not a great strategy because it's awesome at first. And then you kind of get into like numbers and you're like, what am I reading? Uh, and so my dad, I'd contacted my parents and told them, hey, I became a Christian, which they were obviously overjoyed at. So my dad wrote me a letter and he was like, start with Mark, start reading the gospel of Mark. And so I started with there with the gospels, just trying to concentrate on Jesus. Um, and so that helped me learn, I mean, who Jesus is, right? He's right there on the page. He's talking to you. Um, and it not only did it teach me about who God was, it taught me about who I was in Christ and it animated my passion for him. You know, it animated what I thought about him and then it made everything else, all the other changes I needed to make, all the other things about life, it made those things flow from what I was now coming to understand. You know, people will always say, there's always the old joke, like you can get higher on life than you can on drugs. And like, I've, honestly never found that to be true. But it's not because, it's not because you can't have a good time like live in life. It's because if your intention about life is to like get high for a couple hours, drugs will always do that for you. But if you've ever like looked the living God in the face, right? If you've ever conversed 
with the God who made everything that is, then drugs really aren't high anymore. They're sort of like this little tiny thing that can never really satisfy you again. And I, when you taste and see of the Lord, it just, the rest of it's just all kind of, it's little now. Um, and I think that's coming face to face with Jesus. And I still read the gospels because I still want to come face to face with them. And that sort of informed how I live my life. And then I just had to sort of bumble my way through learning how to be a Christian by myself. Man, I love it. Let's, let's hear it for Greg. And, and as he's like heading that way, I just want you to know, like, Greg has so much more to share. Um, and so like, as we're hanging around the fires, um, as you're getting to know him, like now, you know, like the guy in the scariest sweatshirt in the room, um, just kidding, kind of, um, like the, like it's scariest sweatshirt in the room, like has, has like an amazing redemptive story. So let's hear it for Greg. Yeah. He, um, to, to come out of all of that just is like fascinating. And I think the, the reason we started the night with this passage is because I don't want to like exegete this for the next two hours. In fact, it's like a, uh, it's more like a sermonette that I want to give you, but I, I want to just kind of explain the picture the Bible gives us of what was happening in, in Greg's life. And so if you've got your Bible, go back to the passage that, that Rachel read. And I want to, I'm going to end up drawing this for you because I want to kind of illustrate like what was going on with Greg and what was happening in the spiritual realm? Because Greg was not even aware much that there was a spiritual realm. He was just very much in the moment, in his life, in the flesh. And so this, uh, this passage in Ephesians 6 is written to Christians. And, uh, and it says, finally, in fact, I'll just kind of like, I'll just mark out a little bit of this. Finally, uh, be strong in the Lord. So strong in the Lord is like how this starts. Be strong in the Lord. And then in the strength of his might. And a lot of times when Christians read verses, they want to know like, yeah, but what do I do? And like, there's a reason that Paul starts off this passage, this final thought really in this book um, to, the, to the church in Ephesus is like, hey, I want you to remember, I want your strength to be in the Lord, I want you to put on his might, his strength. And so I want you to, I want you to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And then what, what do we do? And this is what we normally jump to. We normally jump to this part like the, okay, so I want to put on the armor of God. And then we jump down to like, what does that look like? But the reason we put on the armor of God out of the strength of the Lord is that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle this is this is like really important, and I'm going to draw this out for you in just a second. But it says we do not wrong one. There we go. Uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let me just say, pause real quick. The Bible says so much about the spiritual world. Just It just assumes that the readers believe and embrace that there is a spiritual world, a reality beyond what you can see and what I can see beyond our five senses. And yet it doesn't go to lengths to explain a lot of it. And the Lord in his wisdom is fine with that. And so it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, the glory of kings to search it out, is what the Bible says. So therefore, we take up the whole armor, 
And this is where a lot of Christians jump to. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is such an interesting verse right here. Praying at all times, Ephesians 6.20, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication to that end. By the way, did you know that line is only used, the best I could find, only used one other time, and it's in the book of Jude? Such an interesting line. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Maybe it's used more than that, and I just didn't do much homework on that, but like, it is explicit in Ephesians 6 and in Jude, uh, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Do you notice this is the first action in the whole text? The first action in the whole text is that that after all of this happens, that he might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may be declared that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So let me just do this. Let me just draw out what I think is kind of happening here. And so Greg, I didn't ask your permission, but I'm going to draw you. Is that okay? Thank you. Okay. So this will be like me. This is the Christian. All right. Or you, if you're a Christian, this will be like pre-Christian Greg. Now, just so you recognize him, that's a gun, and that is a beaker. Uh, it's supposed to, supposed to be supposed to be alcohol of some sort, and this is going to be like Greg's like jungle camo. Okay, Greg, this is when you were in Korea. Your jungle camo, because I don't think you had jungle camo in Iraq. So, okay, that's your jungle camo. No, that's that's Greg, clearly the bad guy. Okay, now what we think a lot of times, and what this passage says is that, like, a lot of times I think, like, okay, I want Greg to become a Christian, or Greg is the enemy. Like a lot of times, like if Greg's giving me trouble, I'm like, oh, it's Greg. Greg's my biggest problem. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. And so since our battle is not against flesh and blood, then Greg can't be the enemy, but also like no human has ever saved another human. So this gives us a different, a different picture. And so what is this picture? Well, it says that the believer should put on the helmet. That's a helmet. It's a Roman soldier helmet. The helmet of salvation. All right. Salvation, the breastplate of, oh, that's terrible, of righteousness. Okay, it's the breastplate of righteousness. This one was a hard one because the T was like so small, but it's like a Gucci belt. Um, It's like, all right, Um, the belt of truth. uh, And then like, oh, oh no, I deleted. Okay, thank the Lord for undo. Um, And then this guy's going to be praying because he's the Christian. You're not, Greg. 
Um, and these are like his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, and, then, and then they have like, this person has the shield of faith. And then the word, the Bible. Now, this is the picture that's given. But still, Greg is still Greg. And like Greg's still like not a good guy. He's like telling the youth guy, like he's not a Christian, leave him alone. Like Greg is still not, not a Christian. And so that, but actually Greg's not even mentioned in that passage so much other than that I'm supposed to be boldly proclaiming the gospel as I ought. But the picture gives something else. The picture gives a different picture. You see, it's not like, it's not just me and Greg in the world. It's like, it's like there's like a whole nother world out there. Florida. practiced Florida. Just so you know, that's, there we go. All right. Now, the picture that we have is like, okay, so not only is like, it's, it's Greg and I, but like there's a whole world of this happening out there. This is to one group of Christians, but it's for all Christians. This wasn't just written to one person. It was written to a bunch of Christians. And what else is happening while this is going on? Well, well while this is going on, there's also the enemy who is out there. I just, we needed a scary thing because it's Halloween. And the enemy is like flinging these darts, these fiery darts. And, and so now these darts are, are aimed not just at me, but those darts come to all people. But still though, this is not just what's happening. There is also this whole idea in here that I am to be strong, not to fight the devil myself. The my, Archangel Michael in the book of Jude can't even fight the devil himself. I can't, there's no way I can fight the devil myself. And so what does it say to start with? It says, be strong in the Lord. And so that's a Trinity sign, not a very good one. But we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are to be strong in the Lord. And so what do I do as a believer? What, what about Greg this whole time? What about the devil this whole time? Well, look, this passage teaches that there is a great spiritual battle that is going on. And my main responsibility, if I'm a Christian, is to pursue the Lord with all of my being, with all of my heart. And as I pursue him, I read the book of Mark. As I pursue him, I look to the gospels. As I pursue him, I try to know Jesus face to face. And you know what? You, you got that belt of truth and it's strong. And you know what? When the arrows of doubt fling at a believer, that they are, you're able to have the shield of faith because you know the truth. And so you have the faith and you have the faith in the Lord. And so you can't, you can't stop any of these on your own. That faith comes from knowing the Lord. The truth comes from the Lord illuminating his word, not just being like a Bible scholar. The helmet of salvation, I am continually remembering what the Lord has done for me. Do you see how much of the Christian's life is wrapped up in communion with God? This whole passage, it says that it's like nonstop that your life is wrapped up in communion with God. I remember that he saved me. I recall his truth. I claim his word. His word is on my lip. I believe his promises. And, and in all of that, the main action that comes out of the believer, out of all of that, is to boldly proclaim the gospel 
And when you go to the book of Jude, it even describes how to boldly proclaim the gospel with a, with a, with a tongue full of charity for those whose faith is weak and those who have no faith. But the Bible makes no apologies that, that there is this great spiritual battle going on all over the place. And people like Greg, pre, pre-Christian Greg, were just, are just getting pummeled by these arrows that are coming at them. And for them, it's just totally normal. It's totally normal to have these arrows pummeling at them. And I think, I think some of those arrows that they don't even know are spiritual attack would be, I mean, like, I think, porn. I think, like, love of money. I think um, the idol of marriage and family. Um, I think there are cultural demonic norms like the conjuring and Ouija boards and horoscopes and things that are like, oh yeah, 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 that's that's like no problem. That's normal. You see, what what I'm doing, if I am, if if this is me, the Christian, I am inviting Holy Spirit activity into my life. I am de- inviting the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the will of God. I am inviting that into my life. What are these other folks doing that are out there that don't have any idea this is going on without even knowing it? So many of them are inviting demonic activity into their life. And so when you dabble in that world and you look at porn, when you love marriage, when you want more money, when your whole goal is success, when you are when you embrace the cultural demonic norms, you are inviting demonic activity into your life. And so if you're a Christian, you can't be possessed by Satan or a demon. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit, but you can quench the Holy Spirit and you can invite demonic activity into your life. And you have laid the shield of faith down and you have laid the sword of the Spirit down, the word of God, and you have said, come at me with all you got and he will and he'll win. Because we can't beat him. You know how Satan's gonna get beat? Jesus is going to come back, he's going to return and he is going to open his mouth and with a word destroy Satan and sin forever, Revelation chapter 20, with a word. And we can't last five minutes. We can't last three minutes in the ring with him. I mean, just the the Bible makes no apologies about this spiritual world that is all around us. Um, and I'll just, we'll just flash the verses up, but I want to read them. John 10, 10, Hebrews 13, 1 through 2. Second uh, Kings 19 talks about an angel that killed 185,000 people. Um, Matthew 26, Jesus says he could call um, legions, 12 legions of angels if he wanted to. Um, Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus that has Satan and angels in it. Um, Acts 19, 13 through 16. Read that before you go to bed. It's very funny. Um, Luke 8, 2. It is. It's a great story. One of Heather's favorites. 2 Kings 16. Uh, Elijah prays that the Lord would open his servant's eyes and see, and the, op- the, the servant's eyes are open to the spiritual world and sees angels gathered all around with fire and torches ready to go to battle on their behalf. John 4, 24 says that God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Folks, we live in a world that is much bigger than the reality that we understand. And one day we will see face to face and our eyes will be fully opened. And I think part of the reason the Lord wipes away every tear 
is because there will be tears. The time left unredeemed by us believers, the time wasted in pursuing things that really have a demonic origin to them, not pursuing the Lord, not being steadfast in the Lord, strong in the Lord. And that's if you're a Christian. So, if you are a Christian, the one drawn in white on this drawing, are you awake? Do you know that we are in a very real battle and time is limited and one day we will be a skull unless the Lord comes back? I say, try to kill the sin in your life, sure, but more than kill the sin, go back to the first part of this verse, and may you be strong in the Lord. May you draw near to the Lord. May you run to the Lord more than you run to fight any sin, run to fight any battle, run to do any Christian thing. First and foremost, we run to the Lord. But maybe you're the Greg, the pre-Christian Greg in the drawing, the wisest man who ever lived, when he concluded a book that he wrote um, before he died, Ecclesiastes, a man who had danced with the devil and come back. This is how he ends his book. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Mary Magdalene was a woman who by all standards was way too far gone. She had too many demons. She had seven demons, actually. Too much wasted life. But Jesus, through his power, through his love, cast those demons out, redeemed and restored her. She followed him to the cross. She was the first one who was commissioned to be a witness to the gospel that he had risen. So if you're hearing these words, whether you're a pre-Christian Greg in this drawing, or whether you are the Christian who is either running towards the Lord as best you can, or you've laid down the faith and the word, there is still time and there is still hope to draw near to God. And the invitation is for all of us. We can't say that every sin, every action is, is demonic and of the devil. We can't claim that the devil made me do it because we all bear responsibility. And there's a very real battle going on, but we still have to give an account for our lives, Christian and not Christian. However, while we can't say the devil made me do it, we can say that every victory over sin, every life that goes from death to life, definitely is, involves the supernatural being of the Lord. So while maybe not every sin we can say is some spiritual to blame, we can say that every victory is desperately, desperately given to us, may we receive it by God, for God, through God. So as we conclude tonight and as we sing, I want us to remember those saints that have gone on before us, standing before the Lord, and that is a cry for us in Hebrews 12. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. If they could come back for one day, I think they would say, run, run, run to the Lord. I have seen him face to face. There is none greater, none more worthy, none more sacrificial 
than the one who sent his son and his son died on a cross that we might be redeemed and have one more day to draw near to God in this life, be strengthened in his might, and have this life that we get to proclaim through Christ to others by boldly proclaiming the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, would you just help us, Lord, as we call out to you, as we run to you. It is only by the blood of Jesus that any of us can stand. It is only by the grace of Jesus that any of us can have any victory over sin. Lord, if Mary Magdalene wasn't too far gone, if all the people listed in Hebrews 11 weren't too far gone, Lord, your hand is mighty and strong and can redeem any of us. So Lord, for the ones who are running to you, may they continue to be strengthened in the Lord. For those Christians who have drifted and given up and walked away, may they be drawn back to you. And for the pre-Christian Gregs in the room, Lord, may they see that there is a battle going on. And your son has won the battle and is calling them to be his. Lift this up in Jesus' name, Father. Amen.